I'm Dr. Vanessa Sinclair, and this is Rendering Unconscious. My guest today is author Shaleen Knight. She's here to talk about her new book, Junie. Shaleen Knight is the author of the poetry collection, Braided Skin, and the memoir, Dear Current Occupant. Her new book is a novel called Junie. She's the founder of her own literary studio, Breathing Space Creative, through which she's launched the Forever Writers Club, a membership for writers focused on creative sustainability. Be sure to check out her events coming up. On October 15th, she'll be speaking at the Whistler Writers Festival. On October 18th, she'll be at the Vancouver Writers Festival. On October 21st, she'll be speaking at Unbound Affirmations Reading Event. On November 8th, She'll be part of the Fireside Chat, which is virtual, housed through the Federation of BC Writers. You can find information to all of her events at her website, shaleenknight.com. That's C-H-E-L-E-N-E-K-N-I-G-H-T.com. Rendering Unconscious is also a book. Rendering Unconscious, Psychoanalytic Perspectives, Politics, and Poetry. You can find information at our publisher's website, trapar.net. That's T-R-A-P-A-R-T dot net. You can support the podcast by visiting our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Vanessa23Carl. That's V-A-N-E-S-S-A 2-3-C-A-R-L. Your support is so appreciated. Thank you to everyone in our Patreon community. I started writing, I would say, you know, as a young girl I've always been interested in words and language and and I started to write really early but I didn't actually take it seriously until about 10 years ago so I took my first creative writing course uh, in 2012 um, and then I started volunteering at a, a local literary magazine which was just I think the catalyst for everything I've done since. And so things started to happen very quickly for me. Um, but I was really, you know, uninterested in the traditional MFA route. And so I kind of put together this patch quilt, um, you know, kind of piecemeal kind of um, education and experience. And I was just, you know, very curious about how the industry of publishing worked. And so I tended to kind of show up in different spaces and ask questions. And and so I, I started with a ton of experience versus coming in with um, a heavy education. So that's kind of how I got started uh, in writing. And then, you know, the deeper I went into this industry, the more I started to learn about the inner workings of publishing and hearing conversations about authors and, and creatives being 
tired or feeling like, you know, they were kind of facing this burnout, which to me just sounded strange uh, because, you know, the, the picture we see of writers uh, in pop culture is just, you know, these folks sitting down, writing, um, creating this masterpiece right away and then going about their day, which is nowhere near uh, how difficult uh, it is to make it uh, as a writer. So I became really interested in that. Uh, and that's what led me to start my own uh, literary studio, which focuses on uh, helping writers create, you know, creative balance. So things kind of just whew, bloomed from there. But I think everything started from this place of curiosity. Wonderful. Yeah. And I saw on your website, you have uh, work with me writing and mindset work. Will you talk a little bit about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, one thing that I often hear from writers, especially those who take that traditional route of, of going through an MFA uh, or taking a publishing program is often that they're given a lot of tools and a lot of information, but it's really difficult for so many to leave those organizations or leave those institutions and then be able to hold everything. So I kind of consider the work that I do uh, through Breathing Space Creative to be a container that helps them to hold all of that information. So, you know, I don't know any creative writing program that offers work around mental health or emotional support in terms of how do you manage uh, being in a workshop with your peers? How do you navigate the emotional toll that that can take? How do you deal with promoting your book for the first time and managing all of that? So there is no creative writing program that really deals with the mindset side of writing and publishing. So that's kind of where I come in, where I'm essentially hopefully filling a gap, but creating something that just isn't out there, but is just so needed right now. And I think the pandemic uh, really taught us that, you know, we had to rejig how we communicated. We had to relearn how to show up as creatives. Uh, And so I think now the conversation around how to support authors in these different ways is finally starting to come to the surface which I'm, you know, excited about to be able to have those kinds of conversations. Yeah, that's wonderful. I, I love hearing about that because you're right, during the pandemic, like mental health has come to the fore a lot, it seems. Um, mm. And there's a lot more resources now, I feel, being talked about and people are trying to reduce stigma. But I can imagine like with being an author and writing, especially when you're starting and getting your work out there, sharing it with others, having people be critical, getting rejected, mm. you know, these are all things that people have to learn to kind of process. That's for sure. That's for sure. And again, it's not something we are taught, right? So I think we talk about rejection, but we don't talk about the consistent flow of rejection. So even if you get a rejection on, you know, for a project that you send out to publishers, um, this is often branched out into other areas, right? So it's not just that that no that you receive, you absorb that rejection and it finds its way into everything that you do. So now when you're writing something else or something new, you have a fear attached to that rejection. And if you're sharing your work, maybe a first draft of something that's really, really rough, you're sharing that with a workshop group, there's a fear attached to that because of, you know, the past rejection. So we need to find a way to manage it because as creatives, there's no way to get rid of rejection. It is a part of of what we do. So there needs to be, you know, more resources around how do we get comfortable with it? How do we find um, positives 
inside of the rejection? How do we reframe the language around it even? So I think there's just so much work that needs to be done in terms of building a foundation for being able to create in a healthy way long term. Yeah, I love that. And I love how it says mindset is everything. Mm-hmm. And you have a new book coming out. Is this your fourth book? This is my third book. I have a fourth book on the way. So I was actually writing and drafting a fourth book while I was editing and then promoting the novel that's that just came out two weeks ago. Right. And that's Junie? Junie. Yes. My, novel, my first, my first uh, book of fiction. I see. So the two previous were, were nonfiction, like memoir. Yes. My book before Junie was a memoir. And before that, I wrote a book of poetry. Oh, wonderful. Well, tell us a little bit about Junie and how Junie came about. Yeah, Junie. So it's it's a novel uh, set in the 1930s in a neighborhood inside of Vancouver, B.C., Canada, uh, a neighborhood referred to as Hogan's Alley. Uh, and this was a thriving uh, black and immigrant community. Um, and it was uh, demolished um, in 1969. Uh, when the Georgia Viaduct was put in right through the neighborhood. So it totally just demolished the whole neighborhood. And for me, I want to set my novel in that particular neighborhood, not to bring it back to life, but to bring back this idea that it's possible to reimagine something and to bring back a place or a feeling um, that would have existed. So instead of bringing back this actual place, I wanted to bring back, you know, the living and loving that took place inside of this, this neighborhood. So I, I dropped my character, Junie, right down in this place. And I have her kind of navigating life while, you know, right alongside her own growth. Um, as a young black woman, we see the demise of the neighborhood start to happen prematurely. So the book ends in 1939, 30 years before the actual destruction of the neighborhood. But because I have this unique character who is so observant and so attentive to how the world moves around her, she's almost able to predict uh, this this demolish this demolishing of her neighborhood. And that's kind of the essence of the book. And what made you decide to go from poetry, move to po- from poetry to nonfiction and then into fiction? How was that yeah, process? I, I think I think it's it's a weird it's a weird way of doing things. I know that, you know, logistically we talk about as as writers, we want to build up an audience and create a readership. But for me, I was just very interested in trying to figure out where my voice best came to life. Um, and what I figured out is that I've I've built this foundation through poetry. So, you know, it's natural for me to play with language in a unique way, uh, but also thinking about how I can stitch together a story using the foundation of poetry. And so it took me years to kind of figure out how to combine all of these different pieces. But I think I'm also a natural tinker. I like to play with things and I like to experiment and, and see where things take me. So uh, I think I'll always be doing the same thing where I'm dabbling in all of these different areas just to see what happens. Yeah, and I can imagine it can bring out like different aspects of yourself where you're able to say certain things in different ways depending on the medium you're working in. Exactly. Wonderful. And why don't you tell us a little bit about Dear Current Occupant? 
Mm-hmm. Yes, Dear Current Occupant was my, I'll call it a hybrid memoir. So it does have elements of poetry in it. It also has photos and it has, you know, traditional chronological prose. Um, but what's interesting about that particular project is the structure. And that's something I thought long and hard about. In order for me to tell a particular story, I need to think about how I'm going to relay that information to the reader. So how they're going to absorb it. Um, and I think when we're writing from a place of memory, it can be it can be difficult and complex on so many levels. Um, I think the first being that often when we look back, we are remembering the last time we remembered that thing. Uh, and so sometimes that can cloud memory. So it was important to me to document that. So even though I'm writing about my childhood um, and I'm writing about, you know, my um, the neighborhood where I was living in and moving into all these different places, I wanted to also be able to document the blur. So that blurriness that we feel when we're trying to look back. And so I thought about that in relation to the shape. So sometimes you'll come across a piece of writing that is very crystal clear and then you'll turn the page and you will fall into, you know, this this poem that kind of creates this blur where we're not saying everything as crystal clear um, as we could. And so all of those movements were incredibly intentional. And I think it was very well received that, um, you know, the conversations I had with other writers around that project um, were things like, you know, oh, I feel like I can write my story in this super different way now because you've shown me that I don't have to only write my story in one particular way. And I think that's a, a wonderful conversation to be able to have with other creatives. Exactly. So you can show how you can express different aspects differently, even within the same book, like weaving in the memoir and the poetry. Exactly. I love that. And I just have to ask you, what are your dreams like? Mm, do you mean dreams as in aspirations or dreams as in literal dreams? We could do both. <laughs> Ooh, I like this. I like this. You know what's so strange is I have always had very vivid dreams. Like I'll wake up and I'll be carrying the emotion from the dream and I'll be able to like name specifics. Um, but my dreams are always strange in that they don't necessarily make sense, but I think that's just the nature of dreams. But when I have conversations with other people who say, oh, I never remember my dreams. I just wake up and that's it. And I think, you know, I think about the creative brain and this idea of storytelling and how that connects to the dream world. So for me, it's it's almost like a second a second day, like I'll go to sleep and then there'll be so many things happening, but it always feels very real. And I think that could be positive and that can also be negative in that it's hard to leave that world and to shake those things. Um, and I used to keep a dream journal where I would just kind of jot down uh, things that I remember, but I don't think it was ever very helpful for my writing. It just led to some really weird stuff. Um, but in terms of, you know, dreams and aspirations, it's definitely, you know, my goal to continue doing what I'm doing and just be able to help writers create for a long time. Like when I, I think about all the different hats that I wear, you know, in this industry, it all comes down to that main focus. I want to have conversations about writers saying that they're feeling good when they're creating and they're feeling like they're compensated fairly for their work and they feel like 
they can do this forever. Um, and I don't think I've been able to have many of those conversations yet. So that is the end goal. That is the dream. It's wonderful because just listening to you talk and describing your process, you just paint such a beautiful picture. And I, it just made me feel like you're really like in touch with kind of whatever drives you and your unconscious and uh, you seem to create worlds. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yes, I, I definitely think it's, that's, that comes from spending so much time with myself and thinking about all of these different things. Like, how can I, you know, have or play a small part in um, helping writers create and to feel safe to do so and to not feel like they can only write one particular story or, you know, to think that the world doesn't want to hear their stories, you know. So I'm I'm always thinking about that. And that's what kind of keeps me going too, because I think this industry can be quite abrasive. It can be quite opaque and, you know, it could feel very, you know, there could be this sense of elitism, you know, as well. And those are all the different barriers that I'm trying to slowly, 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 you know, break down. Yeah, absolutely. I really, that's my goal. Like with this is just to platform voices and show so many different voices and different worldviews and different ways of being in the world to help listeners kind of find maybe something that resonates with them or sparks their inspiration of new ways they can move forward in the world. Exactly. I love that. I think that's a, a beautiful platform to, to hold for folks and a, and a wonderful way to, you know, create community too. Exactly. And what are you working on now? Uh, right now, I am working on uh, a commissioned book, um, and it centers um, the theme of self-love and joy, which to me just feels perfect for, you know, the, the spot that I'm in right now. And, and to be able to do a lot of this reflective writing is really exciting for me. Um, and to think about all the things I've done to date. So whether that's with writing, with helping other writers and publishing and, and you know, other personal things, to be able to kind of take stock of all of that and begin to draft um, a narrative around how I got to this particular place and where I hope to go. Um, I think it's a really fun, really fun position to be in. So that's a book that is commissioned through HarperCollins Canada. Nice. And what would you, what kind of advice would you give to like young new writers? Ooh, I would say, I would definitely say build a foundation for yourself to be able to create in a healthy way. And so, you know, I think those conversations around burnout, it was almost like a competition with me and my my friends before where we could kind of, you know, talk about how late we stayed up or, you know, who got the most done in, you know, last night or last week. And those are the kinds of conversations that I want to, you know, put a pin in. And so I would, you know, advise young folks just getting started to just, you know, think about And if it's writing specifically, think about what really counts as writing. And that if you don't have all day to sit down and and get words on the page, there are other things that you do every single day that can inform the writing that later comes on the page. And those things need to count as writing as well. So when you're going for a walk or you're walking to school or walking to work, you can slow down and pay attention to the world around you. And that can count as writing, too. Yeah, absolutely. Because everything you're kind of absorbing and even like other different forms of art that you intake, like music and paintings and things that you see can end up having an effect and informing your writing. 
That's right. That's right. We don't talk about that enough. So I would say, you know, pay attention to all those, those writing adjacent things. Uh, who are your favorite authors? Ooh, a hard question. I have so many and I'm I'm happy that you didn't ask me what my favorite book is because I never have an answer for that. But I would say, you know, I appreciate authors who play with language. And so I would definitely say Toni Morrison, for sure. Um, Jamaica Kincaid. Um, who else would I say? Maya Angelou who writes, you know, as a poet and also um, in nonfiction as well. Uh, and those would be my top three writers, you know, that I, I go back to. And I think when we think about who are your favorite writers, um, it's important to think about what aspects of, of writing are you drawn to. And for me, it's always language. Um, and there's a certain, you know, exactitude that I look for in writing. And I think all three of those, those authors have it. Wonderful. Did you have anyone specific that mentored you along the way? Oh yeah. I had many writing mentors. Um, the first being Wade Compton, who's a local Vancouver uh, writer. Um, Jen Sukfung Lee, who's also in Vancouver, Jen Curran, um, I took my very first writing workshop uh, with her. And, you know, I never forget uh, the folks who, you know, encouraged me and, and, you know, saw the gold in my early rough drafts. I think that's an important uh, relationship to have, having early writing mentors. And do you have any events or workshops or anything coming up? Mm-hmm. Let me think. What am I doing next? I'm going to be in Victoria, B.C. Uh, for their writing festival. And I'll be in Vancouver for the Vancouver Writers Festival. And that's mid-October, I believe, October 18th or 19th. Um, and I'll be doing a reading series called the Unbound uh, Reading Series. And that will be on October 21st, also in Vancouver, B.C. Okay, so I can make sure I'll skip you ahead in the podcast line so I can put it out before then and promote those events. Oh, great. Thank you. And you can check out my website as well, shaleennight.com. Mm -hmm. I have a whole list of upcoming events as well. Thank you for listening to Rendering Unconscious. You've just heard a discussion with Shaleen Knight. Be sure to check out her events coming up by visiting her website, shaleenknight.com. Links to everything can be found on Rendering Unconscious main website, renderingunconscious.org. You can follow me on social media at rawsin underscore, that's R-A-W-S-I-N underscore, at Instagram and Twitter and at TikTok at Dr. Vanessa Sinclair 23. And now a song from the albums, Switching Mirrors, a collaboration I did with Carl Abrahamson. This song is called The Spirits of a Place. Enjoy.
natural. Us at this moment is also that notion with energy. My ex used to shoot, was never invited. Small remembrances of data's medical and intellectuals will be missed, being called, or in these terms, would be more precisely unconscious. The surrealists can leave you in a place as well as the trickster. It again, this reflects daily narrative. The space created creates the only true hope. I know I should be there. I've never been. Sometimes, just a peak of vital deadlines, this, your behalf, her no-nonsense, with who he shares many qualities, pulls out of the scene and pluralizes. This affinity marks a profundity. Interviewer, desirable state. Burroughs, I have a huge love of Mexico. Even though the spirits of a place and the place call, brought to, I just have to.